Do you know that we who are in the U.S. get to hear the gospel almost once a day? There's churches, there's Christians, there's tracts, there's television. Well, there's, yeah, I guess there's some good television. Not too good of Christian television, but there's out there. But a chance to hear the gospel every day. And a lot of people say, okay, well, let's go to Mexico and evangelize them. Do you know that in Mexico where we live, the gospel is actually heard like twice a day? There's more evangelism going on in Mexico than the United States. But we look at what Chris just said on the video and then think about the areas from West Africa to East Asia. What they're saying is people that can hear the gospel every day or twice a day, they're maybe once in a hundred years. In fact, since you got up this morning and headed to church, over 2,000 people have died without not ever hearing about the good news of Jesus Christ. And the question is, are we okay with that? That has to bother us. You know, I've been a believer a long time. I have been teaching on missions for at least 20 years, 16 years intentionally. And I get callous to that. Downplay what we do in Mexico. Mexico, we do some great stuff. We work with families that are very, very poor. But you know, you can house all the people in the world. You can get homes for all the orphans. You can get a lot of people out of the sex trade. But if you don't bring them the gospel, they're still going to hell. That's what it's about. And that's, I want you to understand that this morning. There's an Arab proverb that says this. The greatest crime in the desert is finding water and telling no one. And you know what? You and I have found the living water. And it's a crime if we don't share it with somebody. In a cubicle next to you, in the school that you work at, or that you go to, or to a neighbor that you know that doesn't know Jesus Christ, or to the close to three billion people who have never heard. And we as Christ followers need to understand that. And um, I want to just share a little bit that, you know, we think about missions, and we think about it's, again, just a few cool people or weird people. We think about missionaries pretty weird sometimes. And you might think I'm pretty weird and I don't really care what you think. I have enough friends. Um, (laughs) But you know, it's all our job. And it just isn't a few verses splattered through the New Testament. Do you understand that God's redemptive act, and by the way, this is not my sermon, so you're paying for the second part. Um, It's not just a few verses splattered through the New Testament. It starts, his redemptive act starts in Genesis. All the way through the Old Testament, leading up to the New Testament. And it starts with man's sin, sin consequences, and then God's grace. And so think about the fall. What was man's sin in the fall? They wanted, Satan sucked him in, Adam and Eve, right? You can be like God. Don't listen to him. Be disobedient. And what was sin's consequence? Death, right? And kicked out of the garden. Where was God's grace? This is cool. Understand this, that you need to understand Genesis 3.15 or Genesis all the way to chapter 12, and we'll get there in a moment, to really understand the New Testament, the gospel story. And in Genesis 3.15, God says, listen, listen. 
the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. It will bruise his heel. That was the first sign of redemptive act in the Bible. That Jesus was going to come. The Messiah was going to come. And God was saying, you can't have them, Satan. I'm going to buy him back. And I'm going to do that with Jesus. All the way back in Genesis. Then you have Cain and Abel. The sin with Cain and Abel was Cain murdered. The sin's consequences that he was a wanderer. He's never tilled the ground again. But God's grace was, there was a mark on his head. Do you remember that? And it protected him as long as he had life here on earth until God took him home. And then, the flood. What was man's sin in the flood? Remember that? Everything. Everything they did was evil. And what was the consequences of their sin? The flood. They were going to get wiped out. And God's grace was Noah and his family and saving the animals and getting on the ark. And then the Tower of Babel. What was man's sin there? Pride, right? Basically the same thing that was going on with Adam and Eve. And what was sin's consequences? They were scattered. And the languages were confused. And they say that the smart guys, the guys that are intelligent, the theologic guys, not me, came up with about 76 languages. Now there's about 17,000 languages in the world. And they were scattered. But where was God's grace in that? And we see it not until Genesis 12 when he's talking to Abraham. And he says this. Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And get this. Understand this. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. From the beginning to now, he is trying to raise up a people that we understand that we are blessed to be a blessing. Israel was supposed to do that. They were supposed to live in such a way that the nations around them, and in the Greek it's the ethnic people groups is what the nations are, not the nations of China, but people groups are going to sit up and take notice of who God is because the people are living right. And Israel didn't do that. Now it's put us on as a um, church of Christ. That's how we're supposed to live. King David understood that. In Psalm 67, he said this, God, be gracious to us and bless us. Cause your face to shine upon us, that your ways will be known on the earth. Your salvation, where? Among the nations, the people groups. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the people with righteous, uprighteousness and guide the nations on the earth. The earth has yielded its produce, God, and God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us, why? That all the ends of the earth may fear him. King David understood that. Jesus mandated it by saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Paul purposed it by saying this, I aspire to preach where the gospel has not already been named. He says, I want to go to the people from West Africa, East Asia where there's almost 3 billion people that haven't heard the name of Jesus Christ. Peter understood it by saying this. Peter opened his mouth and said, I most certainly, in Acts 10, 34 through 36, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, people group, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Peter understood that. We need to understand that. We have the answer. We have found the water in the desert, and we better not keep it silent. Hudson Taylor, missionary to China, said this. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, 
is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. Again, that's just not my sermon. That's just the beginning of it. But I want you to understand what Mexico Caravan Ministry is about, what, why your teams have come down for the last two years, and hopefully you can come the next time they come. We'd love to have you. Let me pray with you, and then I'll get into my sermon. So if you think I'm just going, that's not my sermon yet. So that's free. All that's free. Let's. <laughs> Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you for who you are. May we revel in the fact of who you are. May we hear what you want to say, and may we respond to it. In Jesus' name, amen. In your uh, worship folder is an outline to fill in the blanks. You can follow along. My dad said something to me quite a bit. I had a 1966 Pontiac Tempest, okay? It was a cool-looking car, but the car I wanted was a 1966 GTO, which looked a lot like the Tempest, but it had a huge motor in it, and it was cool. The Tempest was not as cool. It had a V6, and it wasn't very fast. But my dad had a saying about my car, run maybe, shine it must. Run maybe, shine it must. And he was always on my case to check things like, the water, brake fluid, and especially the oil. Eddie, how's the oil level? I don't know, Dad. But I, he goes, well, I see you're washing it. Why don't you check the oil? Well, I will, I will. Went on and on. I listened to my dad when he spoke, but I didn't really do what he said. I, I heard him. Jesus, he, my dad was speaking all the time. But I didn't listen. One night I was heading to a girl's house, happened to be a girlfriend, and my car started making this noise, clack, 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 and then the noise stopped because there was smoke coming from under my hood, and the car wouldn't go anymore. It looked good, but my car was dead. I burned the motor up because there was no oil in it, okay? It was a costly lesson at 17 years old. And you know what? Sometimes spiritually we're like that. We look good on the outside. We come to church. We know all the Christian terms. But spiritually we're dead because we're not listening to Jesus' word and putting him into action. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And the first area is this is what Jesus says. The first one he says is follow me, go where I go. Follow me, go where I go. And that's the fill in the blank there. You can follow along there. Matthew 4, 18, 22 says this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. That was their livelihood. That's what they did. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And I love this. At once, and in some Virgin says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing nets, and Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. You know what the Greek word for immediate is? Immediate. At once. Right then. Get this. Peter, Andrew, James, John, they left their livelihood. Their boat was what gave them food to put food on the table. I mean money to put food on the table. That's, 
their legacy. Their parents, their dad was a fisherman, their great-grandfather was a fisherman. They were going to put that onto their kids. That was their legacy, and that was their life as they knew it. But Jesus said, go where I go. That word follow in the Greek means to go where your companion goes. If they go straight, you go straight. If they go left, you go left. If they go right, you go right. And Jesus said, go where I go. And they left their livelihood, their legacy, and their life as they knew it. Most of us don't do that. And I'm not saying give up your job, please. But I am saying, are we willing to go where Jesus goes and to follow him as he follows in our life, in our home, in what we say and what we do? They said, here it is. Our livelihood, our legacy, our life as we know it's yours. We'll go where you go. Do what you do. Matthew 9, 9 through 13 says this. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. And he said, follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors, sinners, came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collector? And then on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. And, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew, he wanted a Savior. And that's the fill in the blank there. He wanted a Savior. We have a Savior. Jesus, who died on a cross, was buried, rose again. We have a Savior. And he surrendered. You get that? In fact, as he was going, he said, here I am. I'll go where you go. I surrender up my tax collecting business. Give it up. And he wanted his sins forgiven. Aren't you excited that your sins are forgiven for what Jesus did on the cross? And that you have life eternal because of that? That was him. And then Matthew 10, 38 says this. If anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me, he is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. It starts with denying our dreams, our desires, our directions. It says, God, here I am. You take my life. I follow you, and whatever you want is not my dreams, it's not my direction. not my desires it's yours i have to make a confession to you that's not always how i live i like my dreams i like my desires i like my direction but jesus says follow me go where i go that means sometimes i have to give up my livelihood my legacy my life as i know it because i want a savior i need to surrender And I have my sins forgiven. So it starts with me denying myself daily, as some other scriptures say in the Gospels. My desires, my dreams, my directions. God, where are you taking me? Bagus is a Muslim believer. 2014, he became a Christian. Bagus is not his real name. He was baptized the following year. He was interviewed 
said, why did you come to become a Christ follower? And he says, it was because of my long, hard, and troubled life. So when you finally decided to follow Jesus, was your life, was there any trouble anymore? No, not at all. Well, what did you do a living before you were a Christ follower? I was a trash picker. And what do you do now? I'm a trash picker. Well, looking at the external circumstances, the person says, doesn't seem like your life has changed much. And he says, oh, yes, it has. I have a Savior that loves me and died for me. I'm very different than I used to be. I feel happy. I'm content. I'm restful. And I have peace. And I know where I'm headed. He didn't bring up that he was a leader of a church there in a Muslim village and that had, he had been tortured, in fact, had a pistol to his head and it misfired and he wasn't killed, that his wife and children were taken from him and he was put out on the street. But he says this, and I want you to hear this. I never regret my decision to follow Jesus. And I am following him wholeheartedly. Jesus says, follow me. Go where I go. And the question I have for you and me, first of all, for me, am I? Are you? Jesus speaks. Are you listening? Are you checking your spiritual oil and making sure that we are alive? And it starts with him saying, follow me. Go where I go. And it might mean giving up your livelihood. It might mean your legacy. It might mean your life as you know it. But we need a Savior. We need to surrender. We need our sins forgiven. And we have our sins forgiven. But it's denying ourselves and says, it's not my dreams that count. It's not my desires. It's not my direction. It's his. The second one he says, it says, obey God's word. Obey God's word. In Luke 18, I mean 8, excuse me, verses 20 through 21 says this. He was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside waiting to see you, Jesus. But he replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and carry it out. Some virgin says, and obey it. And Luke eleven twenty seven says this, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in a crowd raised her voice and said, blessed is the womb that, you were, that bore you and blessed are the breasts that nurse you. But he replied, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. See, Jesus speaks and said, obey God's word. The eights there, the first one is hearing. Are we just hearing God's word? Or the second one, H, is heeding. That's obeying. Are we just hearing God's word? Or are we obeying God's word? The L is listening. Are we just listening? Are we just coming on Sunday or midweek? Or are we living it out during the week? Does your neighbor see that? Does the people you work with, I'm going to kill myself with this cord is what I'm going to do up here. I'm going to move it here. Are we living it out? In Matthew 21, in verse 28, we see a story. Up to that point, we saw the triumphal entry. We saw the cleansing of the temple. We saw this barren fig tree and Jesus' authority being questioned by the Sadducees and the Pharisees. 
In this story, it says this, Matthew 21, 28 through 33. He starts with a question. There's two questions in this um, story. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first son and said, go and work today in the vineyard. And that son said, I will not. He answered, but later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Second question, which of the two do you th- did what the father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. He's talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. A couple things were going on there. There's two questions. They were, he was connecting with the Pharisees and Sadducees because they just questioned his authority. He had questions for them. Then there was two sons. There wasn't just two random sons. The sons of this father, and they were deep, and there was commitment there, and there was love there. Showed an incredible intimacy between the two sons. It also showed that there needed to be honor and respect along with those titles. But there's two decisions. The one son said he wouldn't do it, but he did it. The other son said he would, but he didn't. The decisions had ramifications for each son. One was obedient, one wasn't. Then he was talking to two groups. He was talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he was talking to the prostitutes and the tax collectors. There was two outcomes. There was one that had belief, and that was the tax collectors and the prostitutes, and one that had unbelief. We see it in religion versus righteousness. See, the Sadducees and the Pharisees were religious. And you know what? Sometimes I'm religious. I can show up on church. I have all the right things to say. I know all the right Bible verses. But am I really righteous with Christ's righteousness? That's with the tax collectors and prostitutes. They understood the righteous part, not the religious part. Then there was talk from the Sadducees and the Pharisees. But with the tax collectors and the prostitutes, it was a walk. They understood, and they walked it out. Then there was words from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and then from the tax collectors and the prostitutes, there was works. They lived it out. I'm not talking about earning your salvation that way. I'm talking about once you know the truth, then live in it and work it out. And then there was rebellion from the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And then with the tax collectors and the prostitutes, there was repentance. See, we need to obey God's word. I had a youth pastor, and his whole philosophy on youth ministry was read God's word, do what it says. We had over 700 kids coming every Wednesday night to our youth group. It wasn't fancy didn't talk on topics all the time. He just said, man, read God's word, do what it says. And he just taught us God's word. And kids were coming from all over San Diego to come to this youth group. To hear this man just teach God's word and said, now obey it. I'm going to read something to you. And this is the next fill in the blank. It starts with the greatest cause. Ken's from a band called DC Talk. Now it's Toby Mac and... If, if you're old, you know who DC Talk is. If you're young, you probably know who Toby Mac is. It says this, The greatest cause of atheism today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and, 
and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Guys, we need to be ones that obey God's word. To live it out. Not just hear it, but heed it. Not just listen, but live it out on our daily basis. The third one that Jesus is speaking to us, he says, go to the lost. Go to the lost. In Luke 15, 1 through 7, this is the parable we hear. Now the tax, tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers, again, of the law muttered. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them a parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in open country in a protected area and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than the, over the 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. It says this. Is it the party with the 99 or is it to pursue the one? You guys, I think sometimes we'd rather just hang out with Christians and feel good with Christians and build Christians up when there's lost people out there dying and going to hell. And we have a tendency to want to party with the 99 but not pursue the one. And he's saying, go to the lost. The lost neighbor, the lost person in the cubicle, another student at your school, the lost, and then around the world from West Africa to East Asia where there's three billion people that are lost. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that says, Go take the gospel to all nations. So go to the nations is the fill-in. Mark 16, 15 and Luke 24, 40 through 6 says, Go preach the good news. We need to go to the nations. We need to go preach the good news. The gospel that Jesus lived, died, rose again, and lives today. And then Acts 1, 8, it says, Lay down your life. Lay down your life. It says, Acts 1, 8 says this. You receive power. And that word in the Greek is dumas, miraculous power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. And the word witness, we get the word martyr, where we get the word martyr from. To lay your life down for him. And he says, go to the nations. Go tell the gospel. But lay your life down. Give it for that reason. Because there's people dying and going to hell. 35,000 will die today without ever hearing about Jesus Christ. That has to unnerve us. That has to do something Christian pulse and say, I'm not okay with that. And you need to be doing the same thing. D, and that's all I'm going to call him, came to caravan when he was 18 years old. Actually, before I was director. And he heard about the gospel I mean, about the loss. And he heard about a country in the Indian Ocean. I won't tell you what that country is to protect him. And then he met one of my interns. And once in a while that happens. Somebody meets one of my interns and think they're cute or whatever. At least the girls are cute. But the guys, who knows. But, um, 
and something happens, they get married. They made a commitment to go to that country, and they ended up there. They ended up there to bring the gospel. And the only way into this country wasn't a missions visa. They started a company, and they started that company, and that company is growing today. There's a large team there, and now there's people that know Jesus Christ, and they're, they're hoping to eventually plant a church and see a church flourish there. Because they got it. They understood that Jesus said, go to the lost. But you know what? I want to tell you, they're there. You know how they're there? Because there's people like you that are sending in there and sending money there and helping in there. And there's people that know business that helped them and taught them about business and creating a business. And so, again, I am not saying that every one of us needs to be on the front line. Some of you have passed your prime for that. Me has passed my prime for that. Okay? But you have business knowledge. You have capital. You have finances. You have your knees that you can go to your knees and pray for them. Some of you are young enough and sharp enough. You can go. But we need to hear God's word when he says go to the lost. And the last one, and we're almost done, so hang with me. And number four, somewhere I have it here. There we go. It says, know this, I am with you and this is not your home. Jesus is saying that. Know this, I am with you, and this is not your home. Matthew 28, 20. And teaching them to obey everything. That's the second, the last part of the Great Commission that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Do you get that? That he is with us. Jesus made a promise to us, his followers, that I am with you. Isn't that great? And he said, and this is not your home. Do you understand that? I think we're so caught up in, man, we, this is my place. This is, it's all about. But you know what? We get 80 to maybe 90 years if you're really good health-wise. Okay? And some live a little longer. But the average is 80 to 90, right? Okay? I'm 61. I'm on the downhill slide. Some of you are further down the slide than I am. But... But some of you are not. But we need to understand he is with us and this is not our home. We are but a miss. And what we do now counts for eternity. How we live and what we spend our time with and what we do counts for eternity. And we need to understand he's with us and this is not our home. We're just visiting this place. You're not just a citizen of the United States. You're a citizen of heaven. And that's where our goal needs to be. And the next one is we are not our own. And I don't have the scripture there, but it's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. It says, don't you realize you have been bought with a price? This life that you have is not your own. So therefore, glorify God with your body. You guys, we're not our own. I don't get the call of shots. I don't get to say what I'm going to do with my life. He does. He paid the price. And we need to understand that. Man, he's with us. And this is not our home. But we're not our own. We're his. And he gets to tell us what to do. And the next one, John 6, says this. These things I spoke to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Be courageous because Jesus is an overcomer. That's the fill in the blank. Be courageous because Jesus is an overcomer. 
He's overcome the world. And we get so caught up with the, well, today's a bummer, this happened, that happened. He's an overcomer. And he helps us overcome that. Isn't that great? Don't you get a little excited about that? If you're done, don't. Check your pulse. And the next one, John 14, 3. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. God will say, go get your bride to Jesus. God will say, go get your bride. Do you know um, the Jewish wedding, how it happens? A guy finds a girl, and it's different than today, and he gets betrothed or engaged or what he recalled, and then he goes back to his parents, and he builds a room on his dad's house. And when the room was done, the Jewish father would look at his son and say, go get your bride. And then he got to go, and he's excited for a lot of reasons. Anyway, he took off, okay? And he went to go get his bride and brings it back to this beautiful house that he built for her. That's what Jesus is doing. Do you get that? He's home in heaven, preparing a place for you. And when all the nations are reached, the, not all people are Christians, but all the nations hear the gospel, then God's going to turn to Jesus and say, go get your bride. Isn't that exciting? And that's you and me. We're the bride. Okay, some are uglier than others, okay? And some are beautiful. But he's going to go, go get your bride. And we get to go home at that point. That's exciting stuff. There used to be a group of missionaries called the one-way missionaries. This is what they did. They packed everything they were going to take to where they were going in a casket. They had a wooden casket. And everything that they had, they put in this casket. And the reason was, they said, if we ever come home, it's in this box. Because we're going to go until the people hear the gospel. One of those guys was A.W. Maline. And he went to what was called New Hebrides, now it's Vanuatu. Three couples before him went, and they all died in the village that he was going to go to. They were beaten and eaten. They were cannibals. When A.W. Maline got there, he took his casket, got there. But he wasn't beaten and eaten. He lived there for 35 years and brought the gospel. When he died, not by the villagers, he just died naturally, they buried him there in the village and they put a tombstone and this is what it says. When A.W. came, there was no light in our village. But when A.W. left, there was no darkness. Isn't that great? You guys, Jesus speaks. Will you listen? Will you follow him and go where he goes? Will you obey his word? Will you go to the lost? And will you understand that he is with you and this is not our home? It's waiting for us and we just get to visit this place. And what are we going to do with the life we have here for the 80 to 85 years? I want to read something as a closing prayer and then I'm done. You thought I was done before, but it doesn't matter. You're just going to go feed your face, so it's okay. But I'm going to go feed my face too, so that's good. Um, but I want you to hear this. And this is, this is the prayer that I'm going to close with. And it was found 
in the office of a pastor that was martyred for his faith, faith in Zimbabwe. And I hope this is your prayer. I hope this, you can relate with some of this. It says this. I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus, and I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, and colorless dreams. Tame visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, positions, promotions, or popularity. I don't have to be right or first or tops or recognized or praised or rewarded. I live by faith. I lean on his presence. I walk by patience. I'm lifted by prayer, and I labor in the Holy Spirit's power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road may be narrow. My way rough. My companions few. But my guide, Jesus, is reliable, and my mission is clear. I won't be bought, compromised, detoured, lured, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy or ponder at the pool of popularity or meander at the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached for the cause of Christ. And I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach until all will know, and work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, he will have no problems recognizing me. My colors will be clear. Amen. Thank you.